0: What is up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So today we are talking with a repeat guest and actually a fairly recent repeat guest. We actually had Miss Jill Christensen on episode 141 just a couple months ago or so. And we talked about her speaking journey and we she just shared some great lessons and insights in the past year or so as she's been speaking, not only how she got started, but how she's building her business, how focus has really, really helped her. So if you haven't already listened to that one, definitely go back and listen to it. But the point that of why we wanted to record with Jill in the first place was she was Wanting to figure out how she can start to scale her business beyond the stage. So she's got a course and is trying to figure out how to uh, sell that and promote that to different audiences. And so that was actually why we had her on in episode 141. And uh, the conversation just took a natural course and we didn't even have a chance to get to that. So that's why we're having her back on here so soon here in episode 147 to talk about how she can actually learn to, to begin to scale her business beyond the stage. So we talk about for her and then for you as well how to make sure what you're selling is to the right people and make sure you're you're determining the correct end user of your product. We also talk about creating validating her course idea. We talk about how to get people to prepay for an idea before you even create anything. And then finally we talk about how to target and sell to audiences using Facebook ads and webinars. So if you're someone who says, hey, I'm doing some speaking, but I also am intrigued in creating some type of online product or training that uh, I could sell in other ways, whether it be to my speaking audiences or just in an online format. Then this is a great episode for you to dig into. So uh, again, this is if you haven't already, go back listen to episode 141 with Jill, and then uh, catch up here in episode 147. So uh, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Miss Jill Christensen. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab. Pretty appreciate you hanging out with us today. We've got my friend Jill Christensen. We actually had Jill on very recently on episode 141. And she was talking about her speaking journey, some of the lessons that she's learned and how important it's been for her to really niche down as a speaker. So in fact, one of the reasons that we wanted to have Jill on originally, well, twofold, one is that she is a student of ours. She's gone through some of our trainings and material. And and so we wanted to hear some of her story along those lines. But at the same time, we actually, when we first started talking about having her on the podcast, we were going to be talking about how she could take her business and scale it basically beyond this stage. And so she was having some success with speaking and wanting to do more. And so that was actually whenever we first had her on the podcast, that's what we were going to talk about. And then we just got we got sidetracked with everything else she was covering. So she's got Mm -hmm. lots of good stuff to share. So today we're going to pick back up on that. So I definitely would encourage people to go back, listen to episode 141 and get Jill's full story. But Jill, uh, first of all, thanks again for being back with us. And why don't you for people who haven't heard that episode, give us the quick version of what you speak on and, and who you speak to.
1: Absolutely, thanks Grant. So my topic is employee engagement. So I teach HR professionals, human resources professionals and senior leaders how to re-engage workers who have checked out who are disengaged. And this is a problem that is rampant around the globe. 87% of global workers are disengaged. And so what I've been doing the past year is primarily targeting HR conferences so I can get in front of HR professionals. So I'm trying to be incredibly strategic about speaking to the people who own employee engagement and culture change inside of corporations.
0: Nice, I love it. And so, in fact, right before we started recording here, you were telling me about an event that you spoke at yesterday that you did a big breakout for, and what that's led to. Can you give us the quick s- a snapshot on that?
1: Absolutely. So about eight months ago, a conference planner approached me to do a breakout session at a conference called HR Star in San Francisco with 800 attendees. And he was going to pay my TE, and you And know, at that point, I was speaking for free, left and right. And so I accepted the invitation. And so when I showed up there yesterday, he had my breakout session in the grand ballroom. Cool. And so I ended up having about 300 people in my session. He sat in on the session because he said to me when he booked me to be a breakout speaker eight months ago that he would never book a keynote speaker unless he saw them present live.
0: Yeah. Yep. And
1: so I knew he was going to be in the room. And immediately after I left the stage, he came up to me and said he wanted me to be his keynote speaker at the event in Cleveland and Atlanta in
0: 2018. Nice. Very cool. So that that, was extraordinary. Yeah. So that one free thing led to at least a a couple of paid things.
1: Absolutely. And so something that I learned yesterday, Grant, you know, he is a conference planner who has events in multiple cities. Mm -hmm. And when you find a person like that, it means they can book you to keynote over and over and over again because the people in the audience are going to be different. And so, you know, that's, again, great lesson learned. So when you can find a conference planner who's responsible for events, again, in multiple cities, you're onto something.
0: Yeah. For sure. All right. So let's come back to the the original topic here of what we what we wanted to cover is that you are quickly realizing that there's only one Jill and there's only so many places that you can go and there's only so much time. Maybe you want to be on the road. Uh, and so one of the the limitations of speaking is it is everyone at some point reaches that that ceiling or that threshold of. I'm doing as many as I feel comfortable doing, but I'd mm-hmm. like to continue to scale my my income and my impact. So uh, kind of talk us through what are you running into now and what are you kind of thinking through as you're figuring out how to scale that beyond the stage? We'll kind of workshop this?
1: Okay, so yeah. So again, as I'm on the stage, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's only one of me. I can only be in one place at a time. What tools and techniques and services and products could I create to scale myself So to enable people to get a piece of Jill and interact with me and my message and my content when I'm not there physically. And so I thought, this is where I need to create products and services to scale my business. And so if I'm not physically on the stage with you, how can you be receiving my message? How can you be interacting with me? How can you be learning the content that I'm teaching on that stage, just not in a live format? And so that had me think about booked and paid to speak. Mm -hmm. Right? And so there's, you have a solution, if you will, that millions of people potentially are in the market for. And so if I thought to myself, there are millions of people and companies out there that need to learn how to re-engage their workers. And so how do I package my material, not in a keynote speech and not in something live that would enable people to experience me and my message and learn and implement what I teach on that stage inside of their business without having to see me on stage. gotcha. That's when I came up with the idea. Um, Some of it was based on your model, which is I can create an online training course that is self-paced with multiple modules that people purchase. And, you know, then we could have a monthly Q and a call. We could have maybe a private Facebook group. Maybe it comes with an hour of consulting with me, two hours, three hours of consulting at different tiers. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't think the difficult part, in my opinion, is creating all of that content because it will be based on my book and my keynote speech. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about, so how do I get that into the marketplace? How do I market that to potential buyers? Mm-hmm. How do I market that in a way that will be most effective?
0: Right. So, okay. So at this point, you've got some of the content done. You've got this idea, this concept for this online course. Who do you envision would be buying this? Who would be the end user for something like this?
1: The end user will be HR professionals not only people who have seen me speak because those people are already on my mailing list, mm-hmm. right? So I could target them via um, my constant contact mailing list, mm-hmm. but there are HR professionals out there who've never heard of me, mm-hmm. who have never seen me speak, who own employee engagement, mm-hmm. who don't know what to do next. And so they're looking for a solution and they're looking for a strategy. And that's what I bring to the table. It's just a matter of finding them and getting and letting them know about the product offering.
0: So for those people who are in the HR space who could benefit from your training in your course, so they're already working in basically uh, an HR type of role for some type of, of company or organization. One of the things that would be important to kind of think through is now that you've kind of identified who those people are, of kind of thinking through... How do they go about making buying decisions? Because you're in a little bit of a different market where when we are offering booked and paid to speak, it's basically a B2C, a business to consumer type of transaction. Because we're we're not necessarily selling to another company, we're selling to an individual who is interested in speaking and they they want to join. Whereas with in your situation, you're not necessarily selling to an individual, you are that's making the decision, but it's ultimately going through and it's ultimately benefiting a company and in the job. That that they are doing. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yes. So the budget isn't coming from the individual's pocket. Correct. It would be coming from their company's training and development budget.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So all that to say you're on the right track. The challenge though, is that the decision-making process is going to be different than with an individual. So for example, if you are deciding whether or not to buy a book, um, on your own, then you can make that decision right now as you know, a, a, an individual human being, right. But whereas we are making a buying decision on behalf of a company, it becomes a little bit different. So I'll give you an example. When I was doing a lot of speaking in the education space, I was doing a lot with, with high school students and and educators. We had a curriculum Mm -hmm. that we, we had developed. And so one of the things that we were trying to figure out was, How do teachers and how do educators make buying decisions? Because the way that buying decisions are made for curriculum is very, very different than the way that an individual would choose to buy, let's say, an online training program. So the way that a teacher would make a a buying decision on a curriculum is also very different than let's say how an HR professional in their company would make a buying decision. So one of the things that would be interesting would be to kind of figure out how are those buying decisions made for any type of training, whether it's yours or whoever for an HR person, there's an HR person who's in an office of 20 people, and they come across a training that they swear would benefit not only them and their role, but also the entire company. What's the process then like? Do they have the authority to just make a decision right then? Do they, have to, do they have a budget that they can just pull from? Do they have to get approval from from someone? And if so, who's that person? Do you have any sense of like what that buying process is like?
1: Yes. Yeah, so from working in corporations, leading people, and also being led, if you find a training course that you're interested in taking, and it's, let's say, at the $1,000 price point, mm-hmm. you would need to get your supervisor's approval, Prior to purchasing that course, because you're going to have to put it on your corporate American Express card. And also, typically within corporations, each business unit or team has a training and development budget. And you need to make sure that you're not, quote unquote, overspending or that your boss doesn't have that money spent in his or her mind Mm -hmm. for some sort of training, maybe for the team that you don't know about.
0: Right, right. So you would
1: need to get your supervisor's approval to purchase the course.
0: Do you feel like, and I I don't know, but do you feel like that's going to be the case in every corporation? Do you feel like that's pretty much the general rule or is that what the situation was where you were?
1: No, I think that's the general rule.
0: Okay. Okay. So if someone were to come across some type of program then, then you have basically, and it's basically going to follow the same process of what you just described there. It sounds like you have to almost convince two people, right? You almost have to convince the initial person who comes across you and comes across what it is that you do, but then you're also trying to get them to convince their boss who has to sign off on it, that this is something that they need. Is that accurate?
1: It is. And you're making an excellent point. Because as speakers, we go to a lot of conference websites, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're trying to find out who's booking the speakers, when the conference is, et cetera. How often is it held? And so I'm starting to see something, Grant, pop up on conference websites that I didn't see five or 10 years ago. And it's a button called something like, like how to talk my boss into allowing me to go to this. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so I'm starting to see that all over websites. And so I think a button like that or a paragraph of text like that is something that would be important to include in the text advertising the product Mm -hmm. because then that person could cut and paste that text and put it into the email that they, when they're asking for permission to purchase the course.
0: Right. Right.
1: Right. So they're going to need some selling points for their boss to purchase the course the same way employees are now looking for selling points to get approval, to go to a conference.
0: Right. right. It's
1: typically, you know, between one, $2,000, right. That's how much it can cost to attend a corporate
0: event. So all that to say, like, I mean, part of what the the challenge is, it's not necessarily it's just something to think through is realize Absolutely. that buying decisions are made very differently. You know, if you're selling yeah. something to the uh, directly to the end user and they have the ability to make a buying decision, then it's a heck of a lot simpler versus trying to convince. It's kind of like, you know, you know this from a, a speaking perspective that sometimes like you just described you may be talking to someone who is just basically gathering information about speakers, Mm -hmm. but they're not ultimately the end user. And you kind of feel like you're talking to a kid on the phone. You're like, put your mom or dad on the phone, like so that someone that can actually make the decision, that's who I need to be talking to. And so sometimes that that's not always the case. So that's all that to say, like, that's just definitely something to be aware of. The other thing I I would consider is the training course itself and the training material itself. Is it designed more that this individual who really wants this Is it for them personally or is it for the whole department? Is it for the whole company? Who would be using it?
1: It's for the whole company. So this is the person in the company who owns culture change and who owns employee engagement. So my training program would basically teach them employee engagement 101 from soup to nuts. So who needs to be on your core team, how to conduct your employee engagement survey, how to build your employee engagement strategy how you roll that out to your managers, how you hold them accountable. So basically it's employee engagement in a box, okay. right? So a lot of people in this role don't know how to approach employee engagement. They don't know what to do first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And so the same way in booked and paid to speak, you know, you were very methodical and this is how you start to think about building a business. Mm-hmm. Mine is going to be, this is how you start to think about building your employee engagement journey.
0: Gotcha. You know, from the
1: people to the tools to the surveys to the strategy to the time frame, it is literally everything you need to go down this path, and that is their job to ensure that they have a strategic employee engagement plan in place that ends up netting measurable results as determined by the employee engagement survey in the company.
0: What kind of a training resources and materials do would your end user would they typically be buying? Is it more more digital or is it more physical or is it more they're they're sending people to conferences? Like if, if someone has, you know, X amount of or some company has X amount of training budget within their HR department, where's that money currently being spent?
1: Well what I'm finding is they used to send people to conferences, but now you know there's a travel and expense component of that mm-hmm. that companies don't like to pay for right? So, and especially in today's digital and video world, and again, I understand that there's a lot that a person gets from interacting in a, you know, face-to-face in a conference setting, Mm -hmm. but you're talking about doubling the cost of that person's training when you've got to put them on a plane, put them in a hotel, pay for all their meals, et cetera. So what I'm finding is, and I mean, even 10 years ago, when I managed a large team of people in corporate America, you know, even then, it started to be, look, if you, you know, the company, the training and development organization was saying, look, if you can have your people participate in webinars, participate in online events, and if we don't have to be sending, you know, there were 35,000 people in the corporation I was in. If you think about those people all traveling to events, yeah, your training budget just doubled, right? right? right. And so as a corporation, I, you know, they started saying to me and I started saying to my people, if you can find online webinars, online training courses, We'd much rather you participate in that than send you somewhere, you know, where you're having to double the cost of that training and development opportunity.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Well, that's good um, because basically yeah. what I was getting at was you just want to make sure like whatever the the medium is that you are creating the content in is going to be a medium that actually fits with the what that particular industry or that particular market is used to being delivered their, their content in, right? So if they're brand new to the concept of, of an online course, then I don't know that necessarily you wanna to try to be the the torchbearer for that whole new world if that's not something that they're yeah. used to.
1: My guess is Grant, at this point, corporate practitioners, those are people who work in corporations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they participate in a lot of webinars, one hour webinars.
0: Okay, okay. On yeah. those webinars, so are, they, yeah. are they typically just training or are they selling something?
1: It depends. I have a feeling that many of them are selling something. So here's another thing that I've started to get involved in. I now have large companies reaching out to me. So, I mean, like IBM, BMC Software, mm-hmm. saying, "Jill, we heard you speak, and we have a product." Like, so I speak about employee engagement. I have six companies who have come to me in the past two weeks. I don't know how this happened all of a sudden. Saying to me,
0: "It happened." We you were have on the podcast. Employee-
1: Exactly. We have an employee engagement solution or technology that we want to sell to the masses. Mm -hmm. However, we don't want to just do a webcast where we're sitting there touting our own product and services and our own horn. We want to pay you to be on that webcast for the first 30 minutes and talk about the employee engagement crisis and then segue into. And I'm really pleased to be on this call today with IBM because they have an extraordinary employee engagement solution, you gotcha. know, that you can leverage in your company. And then I turn it over to IBM and they talked about how their Watson analytics employee engagement tool, mm-hmm. you know, fit works for this size and level of company and blah, 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 blah. It wasn't really salesy, but again, they thought that to position it with a subject matter expert, sharing a lot of valuable information first, mm-hmm. then segueing into their product yeah. that the people on the call could follow up with either. IBM um, salespeople to talk about would be a much better way to position their solution than just, Oh, we've got something to sell you. And here it is.
0: Right. 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 Right.
1: Okay. So, and Grant, this is an area that I never ever thought about going into, but again, IBM approached me a few months ago to do something like that with them. And we did. And now all of a sudden in the past few weeks, I think I spoke at an event in Chicago. And within a week after that event, I had four vendors in the vendor hall who came to see me speak for my keynote, Mm -hmm. come to me and say, we have employee engagement products and services. We would love for you to be our spokesperson.
0: So one of the things that's interesting now that that brings up is doing something like that where you're able to present on a webinar or present from home, which ultimately allows you to scale yourself a little bit more without having to constantly get on a plane. Do you want to spend more of your energy and focus creating your own digital products to sell or does it make more sense to do more of these partnership spokesperson type roles to promote whatever their thing? Because ultimately it sounds like whatever, for example, like IBM solution is, I'm guessing is somewhat similar or potentially a competitive product to what what it is, that the digital product that you would be offering. Is that true?
1: No, it's different. So okay. like they, like the IBM product is analytics. Okay. Some of the companies in Chicago who came to me have these like what, intranet sites uh-huh. that are made out of tiles. So you can literally move your finger on a screen and drag and drop Mm -hmm. and create like an interactive website. And they're positioning that as a tool that would enable you to increase employee engagement. Okay. So you make a good point though, some of the products and services and technologies that these vendors are approaching me to help position might be competing with one another. And so I would need to take a look at that and see if they want to sign like no compete agreements Mm -hmm. so that I'm not promoting completely similar products. But my solution is, here is how you embark on an employee engagement journey. Here are the people who need to be on your team. Here are several surveys that you could potentially use. Here's the timing of your surveys. Here's what good results look like. Here's how you need to build your strategy. So it's really, there's a six-step process, if you will, for you to go on your employee engagement journey, which I talk about in my keynote speech. Mm -hmm. This would be me delving into all of the six steps in the process so that you can create a successful employee engagement journey on your own because you own employee engagement in your company.
0: Yeah. Have you created the course yet?
1: I'm in the process of it.
0: Okay. One thing I would recommend whenever it comes to... Actually, I'll tell you what, before I get there, let me say one other thing. So you mentioned, we've we've talked about a couple things here, and I would just give you one kind of caution that I see with a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, being guilty of this, that you have a lot of opportunities right now, and sometimes it can be difficult to figure out which one makes the most sense. And ideally, Mm -hmm. we'd like to be able to do multiple of them, right? So you, you know, the primary thing right now has been speaking. You also have a book. You're talking about creating an online course. We're talking about doing some spokesperson stuff. You know, we're talking about several different pieces here. And if you try to chase too many of them, then you start to spread yourself too thin and you're doing all of them mediocre at best. So so what I would say would be it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do all of them. You just can't do all of them at the same time. So figure out like especially as it relates to all right, the the speaking stuff is going, it's building some momentum. The book is going and building some momentum. The book is probably largely connected to the speaking in terms of sales. Mm -hmm. Now I've got these big opportunities in terms of me creating my own online course or me being the spokesperson. I would pick one or the other that I would just primarily focus on that I'm really going to go head down on this thing for the next six months or so and see if I can get it going. And if I I can't, then I can always go back and revisit the other one. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But sometimes we feel like, uh, this opportunity is right here. I don't want to miss it. And then again, we we start to do too many things. So there's a lot of of speakers and and just on entrepreneurs in general who would say you know, I want to speak, but I also want to have an online course and I want to write a book and I want to coach and I want to consult and I want a podcast. I want to do webinars and I want to do all masterminds and all these things. And all of a sudden it's just like, I'm trying to do everything and I'm doing all of them mediocre at best. Exactly. So I would just make sure that you acknowledge like, yeah, there's some things that are like, man, that's a great idea. And I would love to do it. I just don't have the bandwidth to do it today.
1: Yeah. So what I'm finding, I think that is an excellent point until my speaking is monetized yeah. to the level that I need it to be. You know, if a person comes to me and asks me to be a spokesperson and I know that I'm going to be on an hour webinar for the event and then an hour test webinar a few days in advance, mm-hmm. that's worth my time. Totally. If it was a lot more than that, no. Yeah, yeah. And if I had to keep rewriting the scripts for these things, no. But this is something that's in my back pocket and so that I can keep just pulling out presenting and slightly tailoring it to the corporation that is bringing me in. Yeah. So, but I, but again, you make an excellent point because here's another thing, Grant, that I'm coming up against. I am starting to get bombarded by companies who want to partner with me. Yeah. And what I mean by that is they're like, Jill, you're up there talking to HR people. Well, we have a product or service that we also target to HR people and we would love for you to talk about it in your keynote speech and position us, yeah. or we want you to advertise our product and service on your website. Yeah. And I have to be honest, Grant, I've probably signed 20 partner agreements in the past year with people who say, Jill, you refer me, we'll refer you. And the truth of the matter is I'm still in the stage where I'm trying to get my business off the ground sure. and ensure that it's successful and ensure that I monetize it. And so I have not referred any of these companies to my clients and they have not referred me to any of their clients. And so I feel like I've potentially wasted a lot of time forming partnerships with people like referral partnerships where I've signed agreements with companies where that's really not my priority right now. Yeah. My priority is not about getting somebody else's product or service into the hands of their customers. Yeah. My priority is about getting my speaking business off the ground right. and doing an extraordinary job on that stage. Right. To your point, my time is better well spent honing in on my speech, practicing my speech, focusing on um, targeting conference planners, building strong relationships with the planners who I've already met, who have hired me, mm-hmm. Right. And not spreading myself too thin, but where we started with this podcast is, but how do I scale my keynote? So how do I take that keynote because I can only be in one place at one time and monetize it and also create passive income? And so, you know, the the idea for that would be the online training course, but like say, then only do the online training course. Sure. Well, don't then do the sponsorships, the partnerships. So, you know, I've got people now wanting me to write articles and white papers and right. reports. And right. so I, I see what you're talking about. So yep. this starts blossoming. And so the same way I picked a lane employee engagement, yeah. right? It's now pick a lane as to your products and services. Pick a
0: medium, right. That pick you're going a, to delete them. Yep.
1: Pick a, exactly. Pick a medium because you cannot be all things to everyone and be extraordinary.
0: When even like you described the, you know, like the IBM opportunity, it sounds like in that situation, you're not, ha- you're, you're able to do the content that you would already deliver, but you're able to yes. do it in an online setting. So it's basically you're, it's a, it's a paid speaking engagement, but it just happens to be online in a, in a webinar format. So something Absolutely. like that where it's like, and it, Hey, and I it's
1: would- two hours. Yeah. So it's a lot less time than getting on an airplane Oh, totally. and, you know, can, and they're paying me. Right. So, so that's a simple thing. What I would back, what I believe I'm going to back away with is, you know, again, these companies coming to me and saying, Well, we have products that we position as will help you improve employee engagement in your company. Mm-hmm. You know, so we want to tell you about them. We want them on your website. We want you to potentially talk about them. And I just, I can't do it. I need to focus on my message and my solution, which is how to create an extraordinary employee engagement strategy yeah. and move the needle in your company. Right. That's what I'm all about you know, and it's not that I don't want to help other people because I do, but I can't help anyone unless I'm successful in my own right.
0: Totally. Totally. So, okay. So let's come all the way back then on your course and your product Mm -hmm. then. So if you've got some rough ideas on it, one of the things that I would, I would definitely recommend when you're creating an online training program of some type is to make sure you validate it. And what I mean by that is you have some ideas right now of what you think people want. And they're probably fairly accurate in that you've you've worked in that setting before. You've also been speaking to a lot of companies and a lot of those, those type of end user people. So you have a, probably a pretty good idea of, of what they want. But there's a difference between someone saying they want someone something and someone actually being willing to pay for it, right? So what I want you to do is I want you to think of your online course like, like you're sending it through Kickstarter, right? The point of Kickstarter and someone put it buying uh, something on Kickstarter is someone puts up a product on Kickstarter to say, here's this cool concept we have. This thing's not even built yet. Would you like to give us some money so that we can go build this thing? And they're basically validating it there, right? And so what happens is, is if they can't, there may be a lot of people who raise their hand and say, that's a really, really cool product or that's a cool concept, but they're not willing to spend money on it. Then that's, that's an issue, right? In the same way, that you may have a bunch of people who would say, oh, Jill, employee engagement in a box, that sounds amazing. Well, I mean, we wouldn't pay for that, and that sounds cool, but like we're not not interested enough to buy it. Well, then, then it's an issue, right? So the point is, you would rather know that today, before you've created anything, versus the mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make, is that we have the idea, we go in the cave, we build the thing, we come out, we present it to the world, and we're like, hey, here's this thing I made for you, I hope I got it right versus saying, here's this concept, here's this thing, let me see if I can get some people involved with the process and we can kind of tinker with it and and work on it to develop, make sure we get exactly what it is that the end user is looking for before we release it to the public. So here's here's what that looks like. So whenever we created Booked and Paid to Speak or any of our training programs, one of the things that we've done is we basically would contact people who have expressed some interest in that topic. So it's not just a cold audience. We know these people would be the end user and we know these people would be interested in this topic. And oftentimes we have no course made, we have nothing more than like an outline and kind of a description in like a Google doc. I mean, we're talking literally, we're sending them some text just kind of explaining, here's the concept of what we're going to create. Here's this idea and we wanna get some feedback from people first before we create anything. So in some ways it feels weird because because you're ultimately you're selling thin air. You're selling a concept, but the idea then is that people would raise their hand and support your thing by actually spending money, right? So if, if for example, if you email, let's go back to my example. If I email a hundred people about a training program and they all say they're interested, but nobody actually buys anything, well then I got an issue, right? Exactly. So then I can, if I can. I can- You're like
1: conducting a focus group.
0: Totally, totally. Before you make anything.
1: Before, not not before go live. Before you even start building it.
0: Oh, before you've even built anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that way again, you're getting exact feedback. So You're making exactly what they want. So the yeah. benefit to them is a couple of things. One, let's say for example, let's say you're going to sell the product for you know five hundred dollars. You know when when it's all is said and done. Well, for them, you may say, hey, I'm going to give you. You know, you can get it for half price or whatever. So that they know like they're getting some type of value out of. They're getting some type yeah. of deal out of. The other thing I found is a lot of people just like the process of being of feeling like they feel some ownership. They have exactly. zero They have zero stake in the outcome, but ultimately they are helping you to create the solution that they need. So there's huge benefit for them in providing feedback to you to make sure you get it right. Right. I love that. So if you can get, let's say you can get 10 people to each pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever, you know, the, the price you feel comfortable with, then you can kind of work with and workshop with them of saying, Okay. We're thinking about creating, you know, these five modules. Does this look like what you're looking for? Okay. So we need basically these four modules. Okay. Got it. All right. So now I'm going to create the first module and I'm going to come back to those original 10 people and say, all right, is this what you're looking for? What am I missing? Poke holes in it. Give me feedback. And you're just like going back and forth with them. And it's just kind of this iterative process of you're not creating something on your own hoping that you get it right, but you're working with them through the process. So that ultimately by the end, you've got, you know, X number of people who've raised their hand and paid money saying, yes, I'm interested enough to pay money. And they said I need you to create the solution. And then you've worked with them to create the solution. So that by the end, you've really ultimately created exactly what they ask for and exactly what they need, not what you think that they need. Does it make sense? That's
1: fantastic. It's fantastic feedback. We used to do that when we were building websites. Yeah. Right. We wouldn't build a website and put it out there. If you build it, they will come. Right. that is not the truth. Right. Right. We would, as we were building the website, we would pull together employees into focus groups and say, is this information architecture intuitive? Yeah. Where do you want your news to, you know, to show up on your homepage? What type of content do you want to see there? You know, we can see from the reports that these these are the places on the website, on the internet that people most go to. Therefore, do you want that in the, you know, do you want it right. in the middle of the page? Do you want it? And so then, when we went live with our intranet site, you'd have like ninety-three percent customer satisfaction.
0: Yeah, right. Yep.
1: Because you already tested it in a focus group setting with employed with your end users prior to go live.
0: Right, and even like so, go, like going back to the like the curriculum example when I was working with these high school teachers, is I worked with a couple of teachers to actually they helped create the curriculum. So it wasn't me saying, "I've never taught in a classroom before, so here's my best guess on what you need." But them saying, "You know, here's these state." or a national mandated requirements, you know, for some of these things that they got to teach. Here's how these things align with this curriculum. And same thing for you, you may have like, here's the opportunity to take the what feels like an online course and turn it into some type of mandated re- a continuing education product that employees have to go through anyway, you know, and you're providing the solution to that.
1: Yeah. Love it. So Grant, could we t- also talk a little bit about marketing?
0: Yep. Yep. So at that point, so once you, let's say you've gone through that validation process, you've got mm-hmm. the course created, or you got whatever the end result is, and it may look different. You know, hypothetically, it could look very different. Then here's yeah. my best guess of what this is going to be. And then here's the finished product. And maybe they're very close, or maybe they're totally different. But ultimately, that it's, we've created something that the end user wants, needs, and is willing to pay for. So mm-hmm. at that point, then how do we actually get this out? So. I know one of the things that you and I have talked a little bit about is using webinars and using Facebook ads for this. So Facebook, I, I do not claim to be a Facebook ads expert, but I'll give you a couple of ideas on things that you can do. So if you wanted to run Facebook ads to target some potential some potential people who would be a fit for this, then a couple of things that you could potentially do is you can do Facebook ad targeting to target people who like certain pages. So there may be, what did you say is the big HR group? Uh, Um, Sherm. Sherm. So I'm assuming. Society
1: of Human Resources Management. Yeah. So I. They have like a half a million HR people in Sherm.
0: Okay. So they probably have a Facebook page that has a ton of people on it. So you could do Facebook ads targeting people that are in that group or who like that page. So you could do something like that. You could. uh, Another thing you could do is if you have an email list of a bunch of people who would be potential fit for your target market you can upload that list to Facebook, those email addresses, and you can basically tell Facebook to find more people like those people. It's called a lookalike audience. That's something that we do a lot, is we would take a list of anybody who's who's purchased any of our programs, we can upload that to Facebook, and we can do a lookalike audience of, here's you know X number of people who have purchased this, find us more people like that. And basically, Facebook has way too much information about all of us. And so they're able to say, you know, this stranger out there is very, very similar to this person who made this purchase. So that's one way, those are the couple of ideas. So you could begin to find people who like Sherm or other types of groups and associations. You could target those people. And so the nice so thing when, with like like So fix- when you
1: say target, so they don't get an email
0: Correct. So they're getting, they're just seeing a Facebook ad. So, the, one of the great things about a Facebook ad is you can be very, very targeted with it. Meaning, like if you put up a billboard on the interstate, you can't pick and choose who sees that. Everybody driving down the interstate sees that. But whenever you put up something, an ad on Facebook, you can be extremely specific about who sees that. So, you could say, I'm just making this up, you could say, I only want females between 50 and 60 who are in this zip code. Who like puppies and have two kids? That's who I want to see this ad, and that's all who will see that ad. So you is can it get cost effective. It can be some of this. You just have to test and kind of determine yeah. what the, what the math is. So the. What I would recommend is that you start on uh, one, I would go back to, um, we just interviewed Rick Mulready on the podcast, and he's a Facebook ads wizard and ninja. So I'd go back and listen to that episode with him. And I, I apologize, I don't remember that number off the top of my head. Listen to that, because I think that will that will provide some, some feedback there. Um, so then you can start, you can target those specific people. And typically, you're going to be either when they click on that ad, you're sending them to either um, a landing page of some type, or maybe they have mm-hmm. an, an opt-in, or it may be like we talked about some type of webinar or training. So there's a lot of different variables and it's good to just test them. But for one thing you may want to do is you could send people, let's say you have, let's see, like a PDF one sheet thing that is five mistakes you're making with employee engagement right now that you don't even realize you're making. Something like that, that catches the right person's attention. And they're like, oh dang, I wonder what those five are. I wonder if Maybe are we making those? I got to click on this and find out, right? So at that point, then the goal here throughout all of this is to ideally get them on some type of email list. Cause once they're on an email list, it's a lot easier to begin to build a relationship with them, to begin to nurture that relationship, to begin to drip content and information out to them. And then you can also, at some point in the process there, you can invite them to some type of offer where you're offering the training program. You can invite them to some type of webinar where you're presenting some of the training material and then presenting the offer. So there's a lot of variables. Most,
1: do you think that's the most effective way to do an hour webinar? to entice people to purchase the product
0: yeah typically i mean that's what that's what has worked really really well for us is the goal for us is to get people to join a webinar because we know that on a webinar a couple things are going to happen one is that you're going to just build you know you spend a couple minutes up front of building some rapport with them and showing some of your your credentials but you're also just showing like you're a normal human being right and and like in your situation you can show some of the credibility of here's some of the speaking that I've done. Here's some of the companies that I've worked for and worked with and consulted with in the past. And you're just building that credibility of to them, they just saw a Facebook ad. They have no idea who Jill is. So you're trying to just show like, Hey, I, I, know, I know what I'm talking about. Right? So at that point, then you can just continue to do some like for the next 30, 45 minutes, just do some free teaching training on the subject and topic. And the, the, the reality is, is that There's only so much you can cover and there's only so much that you can go into in 30 or 45 minutes, right? In the same way that like, if you think about it, if you give a keynote, you can give a lot of really good practical stuff, but there's still like, you're just scratching the surface. So basically what you're able to transition into is say, Hey, if you want more information, if you want more support, if you want more help, here's this resource and tool that we have that can help you to deliver this, not only to help you implement this, but also help you deliver this to your entire team. So let's think about like you're delivering in some similar ways, you're delivering a keynote and then you're making some type of offer, but you're doing it in an online setting.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Now, do you partner with affiliates?
0: we have, this is where it can get a lot and there's pros and cons with it. Right. So I know some people who build their whole business based on affiliates, some people who don't, who do very little with them. We have done both at this very moment where we do very little with affiliates. We just find it doesn't move the needle a ton, similar to what you found, you know, with those 20 that you said, like they may be trying to, to promote their own thing plus 20 other people stuff. So I've found that it doesn't. If you're going to do it, what I would recommend is that instead of trying to go a mile wide and an inch deep and try to find a hundred affiliates to each send one thing, I would rather find three or four or five who those people, you know, they have audiences, whether it's a company or an individual who have a great, it's a great fit for your thing. And you, you have relationships with those people, you do partner affiliate webinars with them every so often. So I would, I would probably lean more that direction. Okay. Perfect. That makes sense.
1: Yes, it does. Has this been helpful? Oh, this has been very helpful. I'm excited.
0: Do you feel overwhelmed? No. All right. You feel good.
1: I feel good. I mean, I've got a laundry list a mile long of things (laughs) I have to do.
0: Right. All right. Let's wrap up with this. Okay. So for people that are listening going like, okay, we have covered a lot. All right. So Mm -hmm. tell us, what do you feel like are the next two, maybe three action steps that you're going to take?
1: I am going to take a step back and I am going to outline my course and write a description about what that is, how many modules, what each module would include, what my bonus materials would look like, how long it would be, et cetera. And then I am going to find 10 people who have heard me speak, right? So they've heard my keynote speech Mm -hmm. and who know what I'm all about and use them as a focus group to test that concept. In retrospect, now that I just said 10 people have heard me speak, it should probably be five people who have heard me speak and five people who have not. Cool. Because I don't want the audience to only be people who have heard me speak. I want to reach employee engagement experts. So maybe what I'll do is I'll post something on LinkedIn. that says I'm creating an employee engagement course, Mm -hmm. and I'm looking for five people to be in a focus group who have not seen me speak who are interested in this space, who are interested in giving me feedback on the material, and in return for their time and effort, they'll, they would receive you know 50% off the course once it's created.
0: Cool. Love it. Well, and so here's the deal, though. When you're doing that validation round, the yes. key is make sure you're getting people to pay up front because there's a huge, huge difference in people saying verbally, oh, yeah, yeah that's cool. I would pay for that versus people actually paying for that. It's a totally, totally different thing. So you want to make sure that you get people to pay for it upfront.
1: The people in your focus
0: group? Yep. Absolutely. A hundred percent.
1: So you're going to ask them to buy something that they don't know what it is?
0: No, no. You're giving them the concept of what it is. Right. And you're going to be working with them to create it. And you're giving them a deal for buying it today. But ultimately there, again, there's a huge difference between someone verbally saying, yeah, that sounds cool. I, I'd like that versus someone actually willing to pay for it. True. I mean, think about it it from your perspective. Like there's plenty of things that you'd be like, oh, that sounds like you say that to be polite and you say that to be nice, but it's not something you'd actually spend money on. The other thing too is that when they put money into it, they're more invested in giving you feedback because they want you to get it right. Versus if they say like, "Um, yeah, I'm happy to take a look at it. It's not a priority for them. It's so far down their priority list versus like their money's on the line. They need you to get this right. They want you to make it right. So it, you have to get some, even if it's just a small amount, and even if you say, hey, tell you what, the end product's gonna be $500, I'm gonna give it to you for $200, and all I'm asking is that you pay half of that today, $100, just something so they have some skin in the game. So it's not just a, you know, a, a verbal, yes, I'm, I'm interested in this. There's a massive difference there. Do you see the difference?
1: X, I completely see the difference. Because I can't tell you, every time I get off that stage, I must have between five and 10 people say to me, oh, we want you to come in and do this speech at our company for our leadership team. They should have been here today hearing you, right? You follow up with them within 24 hours. Grant, none of them ever come through. (laughs) And I know what's going on, right? At first, at first, it got me really upset. Now I'm realizing that they were just excited and inspired in the moment.
0: Totally. Totally. Right?
1: Yeah. Once they got back to their office, they're like, oh, we don't really need Jill to come out and speak. Sure, Right. sure. But in the moment, they're like, here's my card, call me. We want you to fly here and speak to the senior leadership team. And I'm sitting here thinking in my head, oh, look at all this business I'm getting. But in reality, you're not. It's just words.
0: Well, some of those th- and granted, like some of those things, to be fair, may lead to something. Maybe it's just that the timing's not right, right? So it may lead yeah. to something, but you're exactly right that in the moment it's, yeah, of course, I'll you know, I'll help. it's kind of like, you know, asking your mom, her opinion on something well anything you do is going to be amazing to your mom right but is it something that she's willing to like pay for and invest in and because i need you to create that solution so that's really the the difference there and i get it like i can see it all over your face like It feels totally weird asking someone to pay for something that hasn't been created, right? And again, that's ultimately what happened. Again, go back to Kickstarter, right? And I think Kickstarter is a good analogy for that. I may spend money on something on Kickstarter today that I might not see the physical product for, for sometimes several months. In some cases, you hear those horror stories, they're like, a year later, I got the product that I ordered on Kickstarter. Why? Because I wanted to get that feedback from the end user to create exactly what they they wanted and needed. Excellent. Cool. All right, let's wrap up here. Jill, thank you again so much for uh, coming back on, for being willing to uh, be vulnerable, be a guinea pig here, share some of what you're trying to figure out and sort through. I know this is going to be helpful to people and uh, we really appreciate it. Tell us one more time, if people want to find out what you're up to and some of the HR stuff that you're doing, where where can we go online?
1: So my website is com. Somehow I'm really high up all of a sudden in Google results. Good. So if you type in employee engagement Denver. I think I'm coming up that way now as well. Cool. And again, just so appreciate your time and all of your your counsel, your coaching, your guidance. It is invaluable.
0: Cool. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate you.
1: You're welcome. Have an amazing day.
0: All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jill Christensen, all about how to begin to scale the business beyond the stage. So again, this is kind of a, um, again, a different type of format of call that we are uh, just an interview that we haven't done before. We're doing a little bit of coaching and just talking through some ideas and sharing some insights. So uh, I think you're, uh, hopefully you got something from it. You learned something. And what I want you to do now is do more than just listen to these episodes. I want you to really implement and apply what it is that, uh, that we discussed and talked about here. So pick out one thing that you're going to do differently in your business and how you're going to apply that. In fact, if you would, just uh, let us know. In fact, you can do that over at the, the Speaker Lab site. You can give us a shout there or uh, give me a tweet on Twitter, just something. I want to make sure that you are taking action on what you are learning. All right, my friend. All right, that wraps up today's episode. Uh, we will catch you next time. You're awesome.